Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Middle Class Rockstar. We're in the 30s, episode 31. Last week I had Cass Clayton on. Uh, her most recent album, Play Nice, which came out in 2019, was atop the Roots Music Report uh, R&B album charts for some time uh, and is still doing very well on the charts. She's been kicking butt. Go listen to her record, Play Nice. Go listen to the interview if you haven't. I learned what an ashram is I learned what an ashram? Am I saying that right? Ashram is from Cass last week because she went to an ashram to live for a year when she was twenty. I thought it was very interesting. Anyway, lots of interesting stories. She's lived some life. Um, go back and check that out. Um, I wanted to quickly bring up a, a local friend who passed away, Scott Sessions. I didn't mention it in last week's episode because there wasn't much info yet. It's kind of messed up. I saw him in, in Memphis just a few days before he went missing. He was out there with his band, The Movers and Shakers, for the International Blues Competition on Beale Street. I got to see him perform. He sat in uh, with my band at the Aggie Theater a few months back and was just a, a sweet guy, a kind-hearted person. Um and and he'll be missed by everyone. It's it was ruled, it's been ruled a homicide, and somebody's in custody. But more news keeps coming out, and the whole thing just keeps getting more and more messed up. So I I hope uh, justice can be can be served. It's not going to bring Scott back, but I hope justice can be served and um, people can be somewhat at peace. But uh, he'll be sorely missed in the music scene, and it was it was really heartwarming on Facebook and everywhere to see all the stories posted about him. Um, everybody was worried about him when he was missing, of course, and then when um, the unfortunate news came that he had passed, and then what had happened, it's just been more and more stuff pouring in from people, and it really goes to show you how many people loved him, and and what a great guy he was. So, uh, Scott, if you're listening somewhere, we miss you very much. I got to open for Brett Denon last Wednesday, which was sort of a fun thing because it was at the Gothic Theater. I love the Gothic. It was my first time playing a theater show as a solo act. I've done it with the band many times, but never as a solo act, and it was it was really cool. I've been a fan of Brett Denon since high school, I remember um, being handed a, a burnt CD of his album so much more when I was probably a sophomore. Uh, this this kid, Nick, was going around and, and passing out his music. We don't burn CDs anymore. We just, uh, we just have it all online, I guess. But I remember putting the CD in and listening to, to all the music and loving it, and I've been a, a fan of Brett ever since. But doing a, a listening room show at the Gothic was absolutely out of this world. When I went out on stage, it was dead silent. People were interactive. I was able to tell jokes and interact with the audience and talk to specific people in the audience and, and play music. It was really cool. Brett performed solo as well, and he did a great job. I got to talk to him afterwards, and he's a, he's a wild dude. He's also very tall. I didn't realize till he got up and we just chatted about everything and nothing for a few minutes. Nice guy. And then I I felt really weird about this. I usually, the people I ask to be on the podcast are 
usually friends or or no more than a couple degrees away. Uh, somebody who knows somebody who can make an introduction. I don't a- often just cold hit up people to. I mean, I have, but it's always a little bit more uncomfortable to just say, "Hey, you want to come on my podcast?" But I just awkwardly blurted it, blurted it out to Brett as we were parting ways. And <laughs> I said, hey, you know, I've got this podcast. It, it, I'd love to have you on sometime. And I, before I could even say the name of it, he said, oh, yeah, look out for it, man. Uh, you know, I do what I do. And and then that was it. <laughs> and then he walked away. And obviously he won't look out for it um, <laughs> because he doesn't even know the name of it. It's okay. It was probably I realized as I was leaving the the backstage area, um, leaving our green room, that it probably was inappropriate to ask in that circumstance. But you know, I couldn't help myself. How cool would it be to have Brett Denon on the podcast? So, anyway, Brett, if if you ever hear this, which you probably won't, there's a standing invitation to come on Middle Class Rockstar. All right. Today's guest is Nick Clark. He's the first repeat guest, and I had a feeling he would be. We first met at the Continental Room. Remember the Continental Room? Off of Evans and Monaco, I think. It's a parking lot now. But I had just turned 21, and I went out to a blues jam hosted by the Delta Sonics. And I ordered a... I went in and ordered a Stella. had a beer. Um... And I met Nick that night and a few other people. Brad Stivers was there. Anthony Russo was there. It was cool to see other young people out and jamming. And we sort of formed a a youth group that night, you know, a jam. The young people would go up and jam. And I had an instant connection with Nick, and we became good buddies really quickly. And, uh, you know, he knows everything. He knows everything about me. We've just been, been close friends for a long time. He started crashing on our couch multiple times a week for years. Um, and we we wrote songs together. He produced A Little Messed Up for me, which was a, an EP that came out a few years ago. We've been through a lot. We've had a lot of drinks together. We've eaten a lot of pizza. We've gone on a lot of drives. And I wanted to have Nick back on the podcast. I invited him back on because he's moving. He's lived in Colorado his whole life, uh, same area. He lives at home with uh, his parents and his brothers and his niece and nephew. And he got an opportunity to go to San Jose. He's going to tell you all about it. Um, and he's going to try it out for a little bit, learn some new some new things, maybe learn a little bit about the art of recording and producing and, and do some writing and do some collaborations and do some session work. Um, but I'm really happy for him and all of his friends that I know are really happy for him and we're excited to, to to see him do this thing, go out on a limb, try something out. But he'll be sorely missed. I wouldn't admit it to his face, but he's my best buddy. I'm going to miss having him around. I hope I hope San Jose changes him. I, sh- I shouldn't say that. I hope San Jose changes him. No, I hope San Jose does for him what he wants it to do, um, whether that's uh, whatever that is. I hope it does for him what he wants it to do, but I hope – that he doesn't like it so much that he doesn't come home. I'm giving him a giving him 18 months tops, and then I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go out there and get him. 
But uh, Nick, Nick is the first repeat guest on the podcast. He's also the only person that's ever been a co-host. He co-hosted the episode with David Dondero, and we'll talk about all that when I get into the interview. Um, and and uh, we spent a lot of time talking about his battle with weight and weight loss and health. Uh, we we spent a long time talking about that in this podcast, and it's just um, I think that's it's a really great it's a really great chat. So I want to get into it. Sorry, this is maybe the longest monologue I've ever done. There was a lot to cover. Um, I, I want to jump into it, but first, a quick thanks to our sponsors, Narrator RF, NarratorRF.com. Go there for simple and affordable music for sync. Also, our longtime sponsor, PQ Mastering, out of Las Vegas, Nevada. Patrick at PQ Mastering puts the finishing touches on this podcast. And for any of your audio or restoration needs, you can go to www.pqmastering.com. All right. Whew. What else? I think that's it. Last thing, I'm, perform I'm uh, performing an opening slot for Chuck Prophet February 28th at Swallow Hill in Denver. So if you want to see me perform, come check it out. It'll be a solo set. Reasonably priced tickets, I think. Uh, come check it out. All right, let's jump into the podcast, my second conversation with Nick Clark. Welcome. I it is a great honor <laughs> to uh for the first time in the long history of middle class rock star I've had my first repeat guest and I want to say that when I had you on the first time I don't know if I said it out loud so maybe it doesn't count but I had a sneaking feeling that you'd be my first repeat guest. Yeah. I'm actually this is my third time on the podcast though. It is your that's that's a good trivia question <laughs> later on down the line for tickets to something <laughs> for two people that we already know <laughs> <laughs> for two people that we already know to go see two other people that we already yeah, know yeah yeah you were I interviewed you I think for the third ish episode I think fourth or fifth okay one of those <laughs> all I remember is the Greyhounds were the first episode and yeah. Cass Clayton was the last one yeah that's all I remember yeah exactly <laughs> um and. You're here. You're here now. And what was what was the third one? Tell us. It's when we, when you and I, had the pleasure, to interview the great David Dondero. You were nice enough to let me geek out in front of him and strike a relationship with the guy. After that, he didn't even like me. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he 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 was like he actually said he was like this is really cool like. This is one of the most comfortable ones I've done of these. He said that, like right mm -hmm. as we shut it off, he said that. It was um I that was the only time I've ever had a co host and it was the perfect show to do like a good cop, bad cop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know how it was gonna shake out, but yeah. I realized very quickly that I was bad cop. <laughs> <laughs> well, you had a lot of like cool insight. I mean, questions to ask of him as far as like touring and stuff like that, and yeah. and career wise, and have, you know, because he we got I got a lot out of that with those questions, and then because he's such a, uh, I was maybe cult's a bad word, but he's such a um, no cult is the perfect word. He has a specific 
audience that really a ni- a really obsess yeah. obsesses over his music. So like I think like me being one of those people, like I thought I got to ask questions that I would have I would like to know and so I figured anyone who was a fan of his music would, would like to know those questions. And hopefully. If, if you uh don't know who David Don Darrow is, I think it's one of the most listened to episodes of this podcast, or maybe the most You're welcome. Nicholas d- listened to it himself a hundred times. Yeah. Um but he was <laughs> uh, I mean, barely scratching the surface, but to, but to a commercial listener who doesn't know who he is, he was named uh, one of the top living songwriters by NPR. Yeah, which is a pretty huge honor. Along with like Tom Waits, Paul McCartney, Paul Simon, Bob yep. Dylan. Yeah, I've heard of a couple of those guys. Yeah, a couple, and they haven't been in the podcast yet, but um, you gotta yeah. start. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but Dave David's a total badass songwriter and a really sweet guy, and he does just drive around the country in a beat up old car by himself. He has a booking agent, management, but he doesn't tour with anybody. It's just him and his guitar. Uh, yeah, and it's I don't know. He's he's rad. Go check him out, and he'll play he'll play a theater one day, and then uh, like a library lobby the next day. I mean, he just gigs. He just does it, man. It's pretty inspiring. Um, but yeah, was, that was the, my th- my third time, second was, time, but this is my third time. Yeah. So people, if you're not a Nick Clark fan, which there are many, these podcasts and this podcast. It started to seem not like your podcast, you know. Right. Because I show up a lot. You've been on a tenth of the episodes. More than anyone else other than the host. That's true. Yeah. But you were a, technically a host on one of them, so I don't know if... Yeah, that's true. A co-host, though. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right, so I only hosted 29 and a half episodes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was The interview was funky because I asked him all the... Like, give me more info about how we can all do this better mm-hmm. career-wise. And uh, I handed the mic off to you at just the right time, and I think he'd had enough of those questions. <laughs> yeah. And then you just started geeking out about you guys were speaking the same language. Yeah, yeah. it was pretty cool, man. And then we became semi-buddies. It's pretty cool. Like, we, I get text messages from him every now and then. You guys are buddies now, and you... You performed with him that night. That the he next the night, yeah. The next night, yeah, at the high dive, which was that was like a dream come true. Even like the f- when we played something right after the podcast, you know, he heard me play harmonica, and then he was like, "You know, want to come out?" And I'm like, "Yeah, what do you want to do?" And I, that moment, I was like, "Oh my god!" And then later, then the next night, getting to play with him, I was incredible, man. I was intense. Yeah. I've gotten to do that with him a couple more times since, like two more times. And then we've been texting recently. And oh, it's getting serious. <laughs> so, But David Dondero is, I mean, he's one of your heroes. I mean, when he asked you to, when he allowed you to interview him first off and then asked you to play with him after he heard you play. Yeah. What was that like? That was just like, oh, it's, it's happening like this is so cool i can't believe it like it was like when i got to meet billy branch when i was 15 you know he's a chicago blues legend you know and he took a liking to me and got to play with him and i remember buying billy's records when i like i remember getting his cds for christmas presents when i was 11 years old you know and then getting to have a relationship with him 
it's just a cool thing, you know. He, but David was the first guy that I got to meet and kind of strike a relationship with that was outside of the blues community, which was pretty cool. And uh, just being such a big fan of his music and that songwriter music in general, the fact that I got to be, got to know him and have him appreciate. He said actually something that blew my mind. Um, right after that first night at the high dive, um, he said, he was like, man, you play great. It goes the way you play. That'll help you. You know, you'll travel around the world with, with that. And hearing that from him, I was like, wow, that's amazing. That was a real intense moment. You know, I've been fortunate enough to meet a lot of my heroes and get to play with them. You know, you, you, you more than most, I would say. Yeah. But at the same time, like, it's not like I... All my guys are like guys that are relatively approachable, you know. Like it's not it's not like I'm like, man, I really want to meet Paul McCartney and then I like bump into him at like a Starbucks. You're, <laughs> you're a great harmonica player, mate. <laughs> yeah, the way you play, mate. I can't really do that. Yeah, I don't think they say mate. I'm not saying mine was any better, but it's better than mine. Yeah. Out of the two British accents on this podcast, yours was the best. I think I think I would go up to him with a British accent. I'd be so nervous. I'd be like, "Pool." Yeah, hey, you start talking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's like, "Oh yeah, I love this when this happens." <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. Have you heard? Did you hear his new single, Paul McCartney? Yeah. No. So he put out a new uh, double album, and Ali and I have the vinyl, and it's we love it. It's a great record, but the single was uh, produced by Ryan Tedder, who's a Denver guy, One Republic. Okay, yeah. L.A. now, but he just produces stuff for everybody. And uh, the song he wrote was Fuh-You, F-U-H-Y-O-U. I just want to know how you feel. Make me want to go out and steal. I just want to Fuh-You. I missed a few lyrics, but it was really out there for Paul. <laughs> cool. Yeah, when you're that... It's like Dylan, man. Like it's like when you're that Bob Dylan. I shouldn't say. It's like Dylan, dude. It's like Bob, like Bob Dylan. Like you're just so iconic. It's like same thing with like David Bowie. Like you listen to some of his like stuff in like the '80s and '90s. He's just trying things out. Yeah, you know, it's just like you're not gonna not. Why not li- put out a Christmas record? Yeah, it's it's like you're not. A, it's like there's gonna be some people that they don't. It's not an option for them. They're gonna love it either way. Like, their opinion doesn't matter. They're that on people, you know, they're that obsessed with people like that. And then also it's just like you're not going to like a bad song or a bad album. It's not going to kill Paul McCartney's career or a right. wacky song. I'm not, not to say bad. Paul can't. Paul could get me to 25 times <laughs> and keep his career at this point. <laughs> I don't know about that. No, I don't. No, I was going to Yeah, uh, there we have we found out in the last couple of years that there are things that can kill there there are things that can kill uh people's career. Yeah. And it was something <laughs> Even like those that, right? we thought were in, invincible. Yeah, totally. Right rightfully so. Thank God. Um but yeah. but or what yeah. Yeah, Paul McCartney's new song. I'll check it out for sure. <laughs> <laughs> We're not branching over into that. I just it was just a co- it was just a on the cuff off the cuff comment. Um, yeah. yeah, but David Dondero and everyone else that I've met, you know, that 
appreciate what I do. I appreciate them, and it, I'm very thankful you, for that. You pretty much everybody that you've wanted to meet and jam with, I feel like you've gotten to do that. Who is, is there anybody, because I know you have new – you you have new heroes all the time, but is there anybody that was a hero of yours that's been a hero of yours for a long time, like since you were a kid, that you have yet to meet and play with? That's alive. Right. That's alive. Because there's there is a couple of people that are dead that like really mess with me that I'll never get to meet. But right. as far as people that are alive, yeah. Namely the two right now that have been since I was a kid and and kind of throughout the years, I've gotten more and more where I'm like, I really want to meet these people. Uh, Mavis Staples, who, um, you know, the Staple singers with their more um, secular crossover pop songs have always been around me. And then especially um, getting to put faces to their voices when I watched The Last Waltz when I was about 10 or 11 11 yeah 11 years old and seeing them do the weight with the band mm-hmm. and then just buying all of the records all of mavis's solo records um and just i i'm i just finished her book um i'll take you there it's about her and her family starting from pops early childhood like when he was born all the way up until a couple of years ago and i just finished it and i'm just so inspired by not just her but her whole family and like what they've they were able to do and would you say that pops was a big influence on your guitar playing yeah i was obsessed with it yeah i still am but like there was a point where you and everyone else were like yeah i get it it's cool <laughs> uh-huh turn down the reverb <laughs> yeah 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 the tremolo <laughs> yeah, the tremolo yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah so yeah everything they that family did was amazing and they're one of the few people who i would few groups who they say music heals and music changed the world changes the world but like their music actively at least during the civil rights movement actively helped change the world which i think is pretty cool yeah so mavis i really want to meet i've seen her a bunch of times live i really i would even if i could just like scream and be like oh my god and then run away <laughs> if i could do that i would be happy and then taj mahal taj mahal is a big 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 influence and just somebody who every time i put on one of his albums i'm just like wow this guy really is like a musical genius as far as how big his ears are and how much he was able to evolve um blues music especially country blues music and put it yeah with all these different scenarios as far as bandmates and genre melding so those two incredible yeah those two are right now did you did you enjoy his uh his album he did with kev yeah it was great Kev Mel. i liked it it was it was cool to see what they could do together i saw them live when i played the telluride blues and brews festival i actually saw taj i actually was walking right by him and i screamed taj you're the man <laughs> and he was like, yep, <laughs> kept going. And I was just like, nah, that's not what I was looking for. <laughs> but like, I was pretty scared. I like, I ran as I said it. <laughs> yeah. And hopefully next time I could be very calm. But yeah, I dug that record a lot. I thought that was cool. He's one of those, I'm, a, I'm a, as soon as I'm a fan of somebody, they can do no wrong. Right. That's how I am. I'm right. a, I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So those are the two, um, 
that it really, really would like to meet. And so you really did come from a blues background of sorts, and I know you've gotten into you you blend a lot of other things and a lot of influences now. But how how did that all start? I mean, most kids aren't getting Billy Branch CDs for Christmas. Most kids just want a you know Game Boy. Yeah, yeah. How did it all start? Yeah, what? Yeah, how did that end up under your tree? I think we talked about it the last one, but just like a quick little thing, like um, so when I got into the harmonica and all that, I um, uh, my dad had some re- uh, CDs and a couple of like mixtapes, um, but very soon into me starting to play harmonica, I was like, I need to consume everything I can. Because it was something I started to find, like, oh, I'm I'm actually really passionate about this, and I'm really in tune with this, and I really wanted to get into it. So it's weird, like, I would go to the library. Going to the library was like a, you know, every two weeks kind of thing for me. Whether it was to just go hang out with my friends or, because we're... (laughs) We would go just terrorize a local library, and I would also, there was just... A tons of CDs, and I forgot you could get CDs at the library. Yeah, yeah, I did that all the time, dude. I did that all the time when I was eleven, all the way up until like for like three to four years, I was at the library all the time, not reading books. No, I would buy some books, read like two pages, and be like, "Nah, that's good enough." No, you didn't. That's a lie. You know how I know (laughs) because you said you bought them and you don't buy books. Oh, rented. Sorry, I rented them. You liar. I would rent a couple. You know what I would do? I was so annoying. I would rent like twenty books because I'm like, yeah, this looks good. And then like, I don't again, even think you rent books from the library, Nick. I think you just check them out. Yeah, <laughs> I think it just you think it doesn't cost anything. <laughs> yeah, you rent. Oh, I guess you know. Yeah, you check them out. I checked out fifty. I don't think you've ever read a book. <laughs> <laughs> I checked out like like 50 books at a time and like read two pages from all of them and then just feel like, yeah, that's good enough. But the main thing was the CDs and I would check out all of them. That's like when I got, I was like 11 years old when I checked out Junior Kimbrough from the library. That that's was, a hip library. That's a scary CD for an 11 year old. I was, I got it because it had tramp on it and I thought it was going to be like the little Folsom version. And then I, and it, when I put it, the CD on it was not like that at all. It was scary. And yeah. It kept scaring me, and I kept checking it out over and over again because it kept scaring me. I liked the fact that music could scare me, so where I didn't want to listen to it unless it was like if it was nighttime, I wouldn't listen to that record. Would you say that all Mississippi Hill Country in general should be hidden from children? <laughs> no, get get you know er, <laughs> earlier the better, man. Yeah, that's right. Um, so yeah, that record, Carrie Bell's records were there. Helen Wolf, I remember checking out Helen Wolf from the library and that yeah. moaning at midnight did the same thing. It scared me. Right. But in a cool, exciting way. So yeah, I check out library and CDs from the library all the time and then going to black and red and buying CDs. Yeah. And then getting to the point, you know, Christmas time. There was a big shift from like you know, you, when you're really little you get toys. And then when you get to around that preteen era, or at least the double digits, that's when you get into like more active things, you know, like sports or something. And mine just went to like harmonicas and microphones and CDs. I remember when I was Christmas, 
getting heart attack from my grandma and just seeing Carrie Bell, Junior Wells, James Cotton, and Billy Branch all on one record. And it's one, it's one I picked out and asked for and actually wrote down on a piece of paper, I want heart attack. And then getting it that Christmas and just being like, oh my God, this is it. And I remember I was at that point where I was so obsessed with this instrument and, and blues music that I just like remember staring over and over at this this album before I even put it in the, to the player. And I actually dug it out today, funny enough. Really? I dug out that one and uh, Second Nature by Carrie Bell and his son Lurie and In My Time by Charlie Muscle White. All those, all, both, all three of those records were CDs that I got when I was 11. And just being so, it just takes you back, man. You know what I mean? Like those formative years yeah. with oh, music. Abs- absolutely. You ever want to kiss a record? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. That's how I was today. I was listening to Harp Attack and just being like, it's like I'm having the same love that I have for a friend or a family member. It's yeah, just when like, you don't ever realize that that uh, that it's a soundtrack of your life until after the fact. Yeah, yeah. You look back and you're like, oh, I actually, you know, I appreciate you. Yeah, like yeah. You were just there like a like a sister or a mom or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, but, totally. And but then, you look back and you're like, oh, wow. Yeah, it's great to... I needed you. Yeah, I'm so happy to have you in my life. That's what it, today it was a big thing like that. All day today, I was driving around with those CDs and just being like, "Man, why'd you pull them out today?" Um, a friend wanted me to bring a Charlie Musselwhite CD to work tomorrow, and so I was just digging through my old CDs, and that's all in the blue section. So I just started seeing all these CDs from when I was 11 and 12, and I found those three, and I was thinking about them and I put them on just because I haven't listened to them in so long and seriously man it's like you want to like like grab the physical essence like if that if that album was like a a entity you know like sentient just to be able to be like oh my god you are so important to me Mm yeah yeah absolutely absolutely um when did you get out of the blues i mean i know you're not out you, the blues is a huge part of you but i mean at some point you made a hard start le- bra- branching out and you, well you and at some point i feel like you did make a, a hard left turn like for a, just for a minute get me out of there yeah because you wanted you know to see what else was out there yeah i think around 16 16 yeah i was like um i um was getting into finger picking from like Mississippi John Hurt. Like I I was I was always into the country blues stuff. And especially the guitar part. Like I, I when I when I started playing music, I had a guitar around and I had harmonicas. The thing that interests me the most about guitar was all the acoustic guys. So again being like a little kid listening to Blind Willie Johnson and Skip James and Mississippi John Hurt. That was the stuff I was really into. And at the time when I was 16, I started to, I was getting out of a band, a little kid band and, and another band. I was, and I was like trying to figure out what I was going to do next. And I really wanted to do this Jimmy Reed harmonica guitar finger picking thing. And I found late one night I got into I found Blaze Foley 
when I was 16 mm. and his song Clay Pigeons. And I hope not too late one night. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was like four in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was like, oh my God, this is like, this is blues music for sure, man. Like this is, and that's when the doors open mm. and the lights switched on. Where I was just like, you can be blues and you can have that feeling. You can be raw and vulnerable, but you can expand on it. And so I became a huge Blaze Foley fan and then got into Guy Clark and stuff like that and started getting into songwriters. And then I got into Vic Chestnut, which which was really big for me. It still is. His music is really cool. And um, from... Because Vic was kind of, he played a lot with Whitesburg Panic. He played a lot with um, Elf Power. So he started playing with like these rock bands and these um, um, kind of more on the punkier side bands. And so I got into punk music and it just, you know, that led into like all this harder, not harder, but just like louder music. But even like through blues music, it always showed different outlets like Taj Mahal, who was an early influence. Um, his music is blues music, but really expanded upon. Same thing. I saw Tom Waits on the Late Night with Conan O'Brien show because Charlie Musselwhite was playing with him mm. when I was like 12 or so. And so, yeah, Tom Waits, Elvis Costello. I remember seeing him on SNL like, and just be like, wow, this dude's music's really cool like i really like this music even that was like as i was getting into blues music i saw him play radio radio with the beastie boys and i was like this is this is cool man wow (laughs) i didn't see that in person but when i saw that and that's when you just became a music lover in general yeah i was always obsessed with music because of my family my household but um yeah, I was always into older music. I was that was the thing. It's like I was never into the music of my friends. I was always into whether it was Elvis Costello or or Helen Wolf. It wasn't what your friends were listening to. No. And they made it clear. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so yeah. Um Yeah, so I I branched out um but as far as like musically, I branched out and started trying to create my own music that was outside of what I learned from blues music when I was 16, I think. Wow. So, (laughs) wow. Wow. Oh, wow. Interesting. It's interesting. Oh, wow. Um, (laughs) You, you are moving. Yes. I'm just going to come out and say it. I'm announcing it publicly. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I'm kicking you off your cloud. Yeah. yeah. Um, So, you've been here forever yeah literally you've been uh, since you were 17 you were sleeping three nights a week on our couch yeah (laughs) yeah bro and um not as much anymore unfortunately i wish we you know we're we're still hanging out but you know we all gotta grow up it'd be weird (laughs) yeah (laughs) but i did just get this new couch i do like it it. i know it's nice um but you're moving and it seemed sudden uh, I'm getting out of here, but everybody that knows you, all your good friends are very happy for you, and they're glad 
<laughs> to be rid of you. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> no, they're glad that they're, you're glad. They're glad that you're taking this opportunity, and I know I am. Uh, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna miss you, but at the same time, I say, yeah, you know, he's he's better off. <laughs> uh, so you're definitely the one who's gonna do the uh, Ben Affleck Goodwill Hunting speech, where you're like, every morning, <laughs> I go to your door. I did. I hope you're not there. <laughs> I'm gonna do that after I know you're gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I'm gonna throw. Up, I'm not coming to your going away party because you because I have a gig. But I'm uh I'm gonna throw a party <gasps> after you go away. My, oh, you gotta beat you gotta beat my mom. She's like she's got she's getting it planned, planned out. She's definitely gonna be he's he's gone forever. Nice. She told me every time I I call her on the phone, she's like I'm, I'm throwing a party. <laughs> I love that. I love your mom. <laughs> she's been throwing me middle fingers every time i see her since since we met really yeah totally she's the best um so to talk about the move why are you doing it where are you going why are you going there <laughs> what happens next so yeah so um in july last summer in july 2019 i went out to go see i went to out in california to go see uh, jonathan richmond play in big sur and I was going to go out there for a couple of days, and I have some friends that live out there um, in San Jose. So I texted one of them, Kid Anderson, who's a great musician um, and producer and engineer, and I asked him, could I stay with him for a couple of days? He said, sure, for sure, come out. You know, that sounds like fun. So I went out there. Went to the show. It was fantastic. I got to geek out with Jonathan about a couple of things for a couple of minutes. And then I had, I basically, I went from, landed in San Jose that day. And went from B flat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have my hand over a keyboard for anyone that's wondering. <laughs> but I went to, I landed in San Jose in the morning. And then I took like four different bus r- rides to Big Sur. Um, to go see Jonathan Richmond. And then I hitchhiked um, with this couple back to Monterey. And then I Ubered to... You hitchhiked? Yeah. Did you put cool. your thumb out and everything? Yeah, it was pretty cool. No, did you get picked up quickly? No, they were not, to be honest. They were a couple that went to the show. And I just asked. I didn't know Big Sur was like ever, you know, like Estes so you, with you were, the ocean. So like I was like, oh, I have no cell service. There's definitely not an Uber <laughs> around so here. you just met a Jonathan Richmond fan. And yeah. You didn't have to stick your... No, but like I was going to have to spend the night in the woods if that didn't work out. So I'm so happy that it did. So they were nice enough to take me to Monterey and then I Ubered to kids gig and then I went and spent the couple of days with him at his house slash studio in San Jose. And uh, by the end of the trip, uh, when I was heading home, uh, him and a couple of other people that work around that studio and play with kid pretty often were like, you should stay and if you don't stay you should come back and kid was like you know i need some help here in the studio and i would love for you to come out and help me out you know we'll play all the time and you'll get to meet a lot of people a lot of great musicians you know what do you think and i was like let me think about it and if it if it all works out with my family i'll come back and so i took the uber uber to the san jose airport got on the plane and by the time my plane landed i was like i'm gonna do this and 
I gave myself six months and it's right around that time right now. So I'm heading out. Gonna go help him out at his studio. What do you think you're gonna learn there? I mean I mean are are you gonna try to get into the engineering and the producing side of things? Totally I mean like I've just done be a fly on the wall. Totally. I mean I'm A I'm here to help him out because you know, kid's an amazing talent, but he also is um, for the past six months, he's kind of been doing this by himself. And I love the records he's making for the blues and roots community. I think he's really got an intense, interesting voice as far as a producer, musician, engineer side with roots music. So I would love to help him out any way I can. And then I would like to learn some stuff, whether like it turns into me being, you know, all the way interested in that. Like, I don't know, because I haven't really done it too much. Like, I have produced some stuff, but I haven't really engineered really? and stuff like that. <laughs> so, um... Uh, what's your... What's your producer name? Uh, it's Tennessee Grape Joy. Yeah. You know that. <laughs> I know that, but... but the, the, I have two I have two records under my belt as Tennessee Grape Joy. Yeah, one for A.J. Fullerton and one, one for me. Yeah. So, um... I'm I'm also excited to be hanging out with um with a bunch of musicians there like one of the bass players that kid has worked with um is his name's Jerry Jermont and he's rec- he's the bass player on BB King's The Thrill Is Gone and he's also recorded and played with people like Aretha Franklin and Otis Redding and stuff like that so being around guys that have actually done something we're there for like the the actual you know, actual time period for like roots and soul music. That's pretty cool. So I'm excited to just be around people because that's, I like to geek out about that stuff. Yeah. I think it's going to be an awesome experience. The weather's going to be great, if nothing else. Yeah. I'm real, I'm excited to be real beach trash, man. I'm going to flip flops and t shirt and jean, jean shorts. That's going to be me all over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i'm i i'm already i've been telling people that i'm gonna visit very quickly like i'm going out <laughs> yeah. there i'm going out there to visit <laughs> nice uh come so out get, yeah get get next a pair of flip-flops yeah yeah i don't know what those are here i don't know but yeah i'm excited so in two weeks i take off and that's great that's great and you're doing a, a going away show yeah um, with some special guests. Yeah. Who are they? Um, I actually don't know. I'm, oh. a, I'm genuinely <laughs> asking. So um, our good friend, Taylor Scott, is going to come and play some music yeah, with me. Yeah, good. Ronnie Shellis, my harmonica mentor, he's also moving the next day, just like me. We're both. He's moving to Champaign, Illinois, and I'm moving to San Jose Wow. the next day. So he'll and be he's there. He's coming to your going away party. Yeah. That's a, that's a that's a mentor. I know, and so so him Curtis Hawkins, my bass player and good buddy for a long time, and then hopefully um, some other friends. Hopefully you. I mean you're gigging, but hopefully when it's done you'll come and catch the last bit and just blow everybody out of the water with some songs. Yeah, I'll I'll be there, buddy. Yeah. So yeah, I'm just trying to hang out with people because just because I've been, I was literally born here and. Spent, you in know, that house. <laughs> no, not in that house. Oh. But 
you know, and I've been a musician here and making money and, and friends and, and memories <laughs> since I was 12. So, you know, that's 12 years. And so I, I, I thought it'd be cool to throw a goodbye show and kind of just hang out with people kind of low key, just hang out, you know, BYOB kind of thing. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good to know. I'll, I'll be, be my OB. Sure. I'll bring my own beer. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I'm looking forward to the opportunity to opportunity for you. Oh, thanks, bud. I'm excited. And for I'm it. looking forward to, to visiting as well. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, hanging out. Um, I, l- when you were on the episode last and one of the first five episodes, I think it was the podcast. One of the things you chatted with us about was some of the, uh, the struggles you've had with weight over the yeah. years. Um, and I wanted to follow up with you on that. Totally. So when you interviewed me, I had lost 150 pounds and I was going from, you know, I was at that time before I lost all that weight, my biggest was 386. So I was morbidly obese as they say. And, um, I lost weight and I haven't gained any of that back. Um, I've kind of plateaued, um, and have felt, um, kind of the struggle recently. And I think, um, it's, it's weird because like when you say this, it sounds bigger than it is. And to some people, it sounds like a joke. Um, but it just makes sense when some of the things I've realized about me is like, I have a food addiction, Mm. like an honest one, not like, um, not like, and it's not like a big deal as in like, you know, I'm comparing it to other forms of addiction, but I just see like, I use my brain uses food the way, um, I've seen other people use other substances, you know? Um, and I've only really started to realize that about myself um, and been okay with saying that the last um, month and a half, not two months now, where I'm I'm able to be like, yeah, that's what I'm dealing with, you know, because I haven't put all that weight back, but I've just found myself in this kind of limbo of struggle where, you know, I use food as an outlet for my emotions, multiple emotions. And, um, you know, it, it has this, I, whenever you funnel your emotions through a substance, um, and that's how you process things, that's a form of dependency. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so talk about that. Some of the, I think everybody can relate to that. Um, with whatever their vice is, I'm, I'm having a bad day. I need a drink. I'm having a great day. Let's celebrate. Let's have a drink. Totally. So that's totally it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, it, I, it comes, it, it kind of, it, it doesn't just show up or one or the other. Like for me, if I'm really anxious, I find myself like really like wanting to like chew on something and, and eat food. And, and then, um, 
if I'm really, really happy, you know, I don't, um, you know, I'll still eat something, but like, I'll look for something that is going to make me still feel good, like a nice salad or something. (laughs) But, um, yeah, like depression, anger, anxiety, like all these negative things, even boredom. Like I find myself, um, relying on food. Like that's my outlet. Do you find that there's, and I know now you are actively trying to be healthy, right? Actively being healthy. But did you, when you were at the worst of it or at the, you know, at the time where you were the most unhappy, did you have a certain food or type of food that linked up with different emotions? Um, no, but I would have different, um, kind of trains of thought. Like I, like if, like if I got really in the pits and like just negative, I knew I was going to stop at a store and buy like, like a unhealthy food, like a box of, no chips, a slice of cake, some soda, some chicken and eat all of it. And I would do that. I would do it and I would actively be telling myself like in a negative way no negative way but just i would be like in a bad headspace and using that you know and was it was it just temporary relief i mean as you were driving up to the store and as you're in the store was a part of you like fuck this is a bad idea oh yeah and even as you're doing it you're thinking like that um yeah and luckily i've like I've dealt with like the personal issues that were causing that form of extreme. Um, what is it? What's the word? Um, just outbursts of eating, binge eating. There we go. Um, but I still find myself kind of daily, like as life comes, you know, that was like a personal mental health thing. And like, as I'm still dealing with that, as you get older, you know, other issues show up that are kind of out of your control that you have to learn how to cope with. And I've noticed myself, you know, even though I'm not like actively hurting myself through food, I find myself like dependent on food and I use it as an outlet and it can be, it puts you in a stagnant place, at least for me with my health, because you can exercise all you want, but you really, it's, it's in the kitchen is where you lose weight. And so um, trying to just, you know, learn how to cope with that, you know, or, or learn how to deal with it and change that. You know, I was, I rented this, um, audio book that talked about food addicts. And when I was listening to it, it was right around when I was considering whether that's what, what, I, what, you know, that was what I was dealing with and everything it talked about, it kind of ring true. And it talked about, you know, the best way is to like be, you know, completely, you know, practice complete abstinence from your trigger foods. And I'm, I think that's what I need to do, you know. And I say all this stuff as in, you know, because this is all stuff I'm just discovering. Currently dealing with. Yes, really like putting out into, you know, not just in the back of my head, but like present in my being, you know. And... I know it's weird to talk about just because I feel like um, the minute you're like, oh, I have a food addiction, 
there's always some people out there that are like, you think that's an addiction? You know? Yeah. <laughs> you think that's an addiction? <laughs> <laughs> that thing, that yeah. that voice that's out there from people is there. And it's so, and you know, I've seen people deal with alcoholism and, and drug abuse. So it's like, I'm not comparing myself to them as far as what they're going through. I'm You're not doing it for attention. I'm comparing the mind, the way the our brains work are similar. Like if it wasn't food, it would be something else. Like oh. I have that, that thing in me, you know? Yeah. So it's like, it's not about looking for sympathy. It's more about, acknowledging what it is and and instead of making a big deal out of it just like handle it as it is that's what i'm gaining you know the understanding of it's like i just need to say it for what it is and just get to work on it yeah and uh yeah it's pretty as far as like the health side of it that's the main thing it's like I haven't really gone all the way back, which I'm really happy about. Like, because when you're that heavy and you lose all that weight, and then you know you, something happens, and it just like snowballs. Like, usually people don't gain 150 pounds and go back to like, wow, I'm 386. Usually that number, their heaviest, is now going to be, you know, that record will be crushed from, you know. <laughs> so I'm happy that that hasn't happened. I'm happy that I'm still like you never went back to that amount. Yeah, cuz if I went back to that amount, I totally would go further. Right. You know. Um I'm not there and I'm not I'm never going to be there and what I'm dealing with right now is just really trying to learn how to like you know, just not be so you know, obsessed with food, you know, like not just emotionally, but like once I start eating something, there's it just triggers something in my brain. Where I feel like somebody's gonna come and see me and catch me, so I start eating more. Like yeah. trying to, and then like while I'm doing this, my part of my brain is like, stop, stop, just stop right now. It's okay, stop. And I just keep going. Yeah. And I'm like, that's not normal. Like, that, right. <laughs> this well, this shouldn't be this like panic thing. How <laughs> tough was it? I mean, I know it's still tough, but there were times. Were there times where you lost a lot really quick and were super encouraged, and maybe that encouragement allowed you to accidentally let up again a little bit, and you and you gained a lot of it back? So the one time I lost a lot of weight before I lost, before I actually like changed my like habits, I was doing more of a diet thing, and I was trying like vegan stuff, and I was trying all this other these little things, but I was looking at it as diets and not like. I wasn't, I was also like pretty, not pretty young, but like just young enough to not have things sink in as far as like the, uh, um, importance of health and stuff like that. So I lost like 60 pounds. So I went from, you know, did I lose, I didn't even lose 60 pounds. I think I lost 30 pounds. I was like 360 and then I lost 30 pounds. It was 330. And that was the most I ever, and people were like, good job. And then I just skyrocketed and kept going. And you got up to 387. 386. 386. I remember. Uh, and uh, that was, you know, that's pretty big. And so that happened, and um, 
I think I was like 17 when that happened, or maybe 16. Yeah, around there. And so, yeah, I. But what happened a couple years ago when I actually made the shift from 386 and lost all that weight, I kind of bottomed out as far as like I was realizing that I was actively doing things to hurt myself with food and just like the train of thought that I had on a kind of daily um, routine was like negative, really negative. And I kind of bottomed out and was like, I don't want to die from this. I really had that moment where it's just like, Oh, this is killing me. Like I'll not just like, you know, when other people say it, like when a doctor would say, you know, you need to lose weight if you want to live long. I was always like, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> that was a real fat piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> but I was always like, fuck off. Um, but then like, it really hit me. Where I was just like, oh, I'm, I'm act- like, part of me is like searching for this and I'm actually going to do it. This is, it's working. <laughs> this depressive version of myself, his plan is working. It's a slow suicide. Yeah, totally. And I was like, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. I really don't. I was, and it, I was like, I was scared because I was like, I don't want to die from this. And so I, with that kind of motivation, that kind of scary motivation, I really changed a lot of how I thought about food and how, and not just about food, but how I thought about life. Like I didn't take it, um, not for granted, but I, I started to see that there was cool things in life, not just, you know, my depression then, or or, or at least the amount of self-hate kind of felt selfish after a while. Mm. And I was like, why am I doing this? Why am I right. beating myself up so much? So I think that helped. And that's why I feel like it, this time's different and why I haven't gained all that weight back is because I'm... How how much further do you want to go? So this is weird. Um, couple a couple months ago. It's it's uh February now. And so in December, two months ago, I had my gallbladder taken out. Um, because I had uh, gallstones, and my mom had it same age, around the same time. I guess that apparently when it comes to that kind of stuff that takes place and I did for years eat like um, a real dumpster person. So I feel like you put those two things together and it was just a likely thing to happen. And after my surgery, I, I met with the doctor and he looked at me and he was like, you really need to lose weight. I'm like, yeah, I was like, I was like, yeah, I mean, I, I've been, I've lost 150 pounds. He's like, that's great. Keep doing that. Um, he goes, if you don't lose weight, you're going to die. And I was like, whoa, you know, 150 pounds lighter. And to have somebody say that you're like, oh, wow. You're on first base, kid. 
Yeah, yeah. You were like, wow. You know, because it's it's funny, man. Like when when I was really losing all that weight, people were like, man, you look great. Wow, you look good. And I'm like, yeah. And now I'm thinking back, and I'm like, yeah. Compared to looking as bad as I was, right. And that and that <laughs> gave you that probably gave made you feel really good, and and made which people were trying to encourage you, but maybe did yeah. that cause you to let up a little bit? Because you're like, you know what, I do look good now. I'm good. No, I think what it was because I knew I I wanted to keep going. And I think what that was, was I started to let other things take priority. And, you know, that's going to happen, you know. But it's it's been, it's present in my mind all the time as far as, like, I need to handle this. But, yeah, like, that was a scary thing to have some, like, to do all that work and to have somebody say that to you. It kind of shakes you. But then I was thinking about it, and I'm like, yeah, I was really big and now i'm not so big like an average person sees me and they're like oh that guy's a little overweight but everyone that knows me is like man he's crushing it you know yeah and so you're around those people you know all the time but like thinking like being being confronted with a doctor who's his whole job is health and doesn't know me from you know i'm just another person that he you know right cuts you, into you could have just Gained 50 pounds. For yeah, for all he knows. And he looks at me and he's like, yeah, you need to lose weight or you're going to die young. And I was like, yeah, I, I mean, I've been working on it. He's like, that's great. You know, I'm not here to discourage you. Like, keep do it. Keep keep on it. Um, so, like, I realized how much, how important this still is. And then I asked him, like, what is, I was like, my goal, my personal goal has been to be under 200 pounds. And, like, some mi- misinformation from people in my life made it sound like that might not be a realistic goal for the last couple of years. I would say like, that's what I wanted to be. And people were like, Oh, but like people's body types are different. I told the doctor that. And he was like, yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. Like be under 200 pounds. And so when I heard that, I was like, Oh, this is cool. Like yeah, I gotta do, I, I gotta handle this because it's healthy, it's the right thing to do if I want to live, but also having him confirm my goal weight as being realistic that was actually a real pick me up. Where I was just yeah. like, okay, I can actually do this. Is that is that in striking distance for you? Do you feel like right now? I mean, if nothing else, I had nothing else to do. I could get that done in a year. You know, because I've, I've hung around the gym. You know, I've, I've had a gym membership now for a couple of years. I've talked to uh, trainers and health specialists. They're like, if you really put your mind to it, you can do that. You know, and that's hard when you're a young person, you know, who's also not going for, for the, you know, classic way of looking at things as far as like jobs and stuff like that. If everything was already styles weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you if you you know, gave me a year and said don't do anything else but this, I could do it, you know. But learning how to but that that's the same thing as dieting because it's not realistic. It's not the same thing. Um so when do you want to be there? When do you think you'll be there? Um well, definitely before I'm 30. But hopefully sooner. Hopefully I can get over. You're 24. 24. So um, if I could get 
you know, if I can get small increments going, I'll be happy. Um, you know, I don't want to, right now it's still just a, there, every health, you know, specialist and doctor are just advising me, like, you need to handle this. You know, I want to get, I want to avoid getting to the point where they're like, it's this or it's now or never, you know, I want to avoid that. Um, you know, if I, if I'm more interested right now, if I could change my relationship with food, that would help a lot because, you know, um, we're not really stationary as musicians, you know, and as people that are self-employed, you kind of get, got to get up, get up and go and get after it. So it's like the boredom thing would be out, but I'm just trying to change my dependency on it. I don't want to look for that as a, an escape from emotions or a lubricant for positive emotions. You know, I just want to, if I could change my relationship with food, you know, I already have a pretty decent routine where I wouldn't be as stagnant in, in this like limbo area as I am now. Um, and it's weird because I am moving and I'm going to be <laughs> in arguably the most stressful situation I've been in ever. Yeah. Cause I'm away from, you know, most of my friends Yeah, and away from family. You're out of the nest. Yeah. So I'm away from everyone. That's going to be pretty intense. So hopefully it doesn't completely wreck me, but I don't think it will. Yeah. I'm just. You know, I don't think I'm going to gain all the weight back. I just don't want to not. I would like to lose weight as I'm gaining, you know, strides in my career. Too, yeah. You know? No, it's a, I think that's a great goal. And I know there's, there's lots of people out there um, who, I mean, lots of people. You're one of the most well-liked people I know. Aww. And there's, there's tons of people out there that are on your team and are there for encouragement or, um, advice or, or you know or whatever it is or just want to be your buddy yeah. um so keep going man keep going get it done i i wish you all the best in san jose i don't want you to have to most of the lead the best in san jose i want you to like it well enough that you're able to focus on your goals and get shit done with your life but i want you to not like it enough that you don't come back yeah me so. too man <laughs> like i really don't like, I like San Jose, like, the little bits that I've seen, and I like the people that are out there a whole lot, but, like, I like seasons, man. I'm one of those dudes. Not to be, like, you know, like a Hallmark kind of guy, but, like, I like the seasons. I like the changing of the seasons. <laughs> you always have that here, but you just don't ever know what season's coming when. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um <laughs> Well, before we part ways, can can I get you to play a song? Yeah, I don't know what to play, though. It just has to be an original. Oh. <laughs> I can do that. Am I putting you on the spot? No, I could think of something. Yeah. Um, you've got two instruments to choose from there. Three. Yeah. You've got a harmonica, you have a guitar with ni uh, nylon strings, and you have a bass baritone a baritone ukulele yeah. with nylon strings as well yeah i don't know all right i'll 
I'll pick up the guitar, I guess. Let's do it. Yeah? Yeah. Right now? I'm waiting. Are you going to pause? Or are no, you I'm not going to pause. <laughs> okay, we're going to go straight for it? All right. Uh-huh. And i got to put the mic back in the put stand. Put the mic back. Sorry. Ow! What's this song called? Um, it's called... Uh, um. Oh, okay. Let's just do this one. Everyone that's played has played gigs with me is probably tired of the song. So you, Sido, are tired of the song, but it's a it's a song called Leave It to the Wind. I love it. Do it for me, baby. <laughs> I'm just placing the mics here. All right, and uh in action. <laughs> This morning With a smile on my face And I feel real glad To be stuck in place And I know Can't get much better When I'm laying down With this relaxing weather I feel good today. It's all going wrong. <laughs> I leave it to the wind. I don't care. Blow my blues away. Now times can be hard. And Life can be rough Wanna lay down your burdens And scream I had enough But don't you let Bad times get you down Cause shows this bad, you know Good times hang around Real glad to be 
stuck in place And I know Can't get much better when I'm Laying down with this Relaxing weather I feel good today to the wind blow my blues away I'll leave it to the wind All right, that's Nick Clark. Leave it to the wind. Thanks for sitting down with me again. Love you, buddy. Love you, dude. That does it. Thanks, Nick, for coming on. I appreciate it and wish you the best with the move and future endeavors. If you like the podcast, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. We also are on SoundCloud. That's our host site and pretty much everywhere but Spotify. If you like it, rate and review. I appreciate it a lot. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, concerns, hate mail, or death threats, email me at middleclassrockstar at gmail.com. Thanks again.